I have to express my gratitude to two people on this particular episode of the same 24 hours. Today's guest is Diane Barbarian. She was on the podcast in 2017, I believe, episode 48, so in the baby stages of the podcast. I had her on to talk about her athletic prowess and in terms of the fact that she was visually impaired, is visually impaired, and did Ironman races. And she and I had a big laugh because she said, oh, I want you to be my guide. We should go do Texas. And I thought, but you're faster than me. Isn't the guide supposed to be faster? And so we had a, a big laugh about that. Um, and then fast forward to just a few weeks ago, and I was listening to my friend Nicole DeBoom's podcast, Run This World, and I saw that she interviewed Diane, and the first part of the show notes said, Diane Barbarian is dying. And I thought, wait a minute, I haven't talked to her, you know, and so I went and looked, and sure enough, I see that she I listened to, first I listened to Nicole's episode, and then went over to her um, Facebook page, and she is in fact dying. And this episode is not the type of episode that's a bummer, but it's one that is worth listening to because it's it's spoken um, from the words of someone who knows their days are numbered. And look, all of our days are numbered, right? It's just some of us don't, I guess we're not at the point of accepting it or we don't think about it. And I'm big, I'm a big fan of reading Stoic philosophy and, you know, the, the Stoics, keep death at the forefront of their mind. And when I first started reading a lot of that literature, I thought, oh my gosh, I don't want to think about this. And so I have spent more time over the last year, especially thinking about how precious and short life is. And so oftentimes that leads me to go, what the hell am I doing? (laughs) What am I doing? If I'm, you know, if life is so precious, what am I doing today? What am I even thinking? This is crazy. And it was interesting to talk to Diane and get her perspective on her version of this, on her version of what am I doing? And it, it's, it was very eye-opening. Um, she is precious from a starting point. I adore her and I, I love her even more, of course, after this interview, but definitely have a listen. Um, there's definitely some things in this interview that made me think one of the favorite takeaways from This episode for me is the fact that she says, look, be a fictional character, whoever you want to be, reinvent yourself, write a new story. And I can say that I've been quite a fictional character for the last 10 years, and I just didn't know that's what I was doing. But there is an opportunity every day to rewrite your story and to decide what you're going to do. And I am honored that with someone who is so aware of their days being numbered that she chose to slice out a piece of it to give to me and to you. And I hope that you get a lot out of this episode with Diane Barbarian. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours.
So let's get started. All right, everyone. Hi, we are live on Facebook, and this is another live episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I am very, very honored and excited to talk with Diane Barbarian. She is back. Um, Last episode she visited us was episode 48, and this is episode 269-ish. So it's been a a minute. And <laughs> yeah, well, welcome back, Diane. Thank you for doing this. I, I don't know that a lot of my audience knows your full backstory. So I want to kind of cover what we covered in episode 48 quickly, just to have an idea of of where we were and then what has happened in the last, you know, blink and, and what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that the last time we talked, I was very much uh, bragging, kind of sitting in my arrogance that I beat cancer. And um, of course, now we're back because we didn't beat it. We beat it for a couple of years. Um, <clears throat> and lots of lessons have been learned over the last couple of years, but um, completely different, different story we'll tell today. <clears throat> I am a little dry at times. I get a little confused at times. Um, but I think I could follow your lead. (laughs) Okay. Well, so first of all, the, the fascinating thing, I mean, you have like a bunch of fascinating things, but one of the most fascinating things about you is that you are visually impaired and you completed Ironman races. True. Like, and you're a runner. And I mean, so that is what we talked about last time. And you tried to convince me that I should be your guide. And I said, (laughs) a guide has to be at least equal to, or slightly faster than the person someone is guiding, which means not me. (laughs) And we talked about this and, and, and it's a good topic to go on for, for anybody who would love to give that kind of service. Um, you know, we all have different parameters, you know, sometimes uh, I, I do need, you know, I've competed for the United States in triathlon uh, sprint distance. And yes, I, to be competitive, whoever was my guide had to be younger, faster, smarter, uh, manage me the best that they could, which, which meant that if they had parenting skills, they did very well. Um, but there were other times where I went for just total experiences I, I think uh, we had talked about the, you know, goal of mine, you know, everybody's got like a girl fan. Uh, athletically, Karen Smyers was my uh, triathlon idol back in the 90s and had a, uh, an opportunity to ask her like, well, you know, I'm four months from cancer treatment, but I have a 5K entry in Boston and, um, you know, I'd like you to guide me. And I, I mean, basically we walked because I was not healthy enough to run. Um, but guiding, if we can cover that topic real briefly, yeah. I mean, there are so many different opportunities for, um, for guiding. And it doesn't always have to be the, the fastest, youngest, badass, um, you know, experienced guide. We all train our own guides and it's specific to race venue uh, race goals. Um, it could just be training, um, just some fun things. I've always just, for me, very selfishly, oh, who do I feel like spending the, you know, 17 hours with? Because I'm not a, you know, a, a, a fast athlete. 
So again, that combination of who's got the endurance mentally and physically to put up with somebody for, you know, the whole 17 hours of an Ironman. Um, and selfishly, I suck the life out of people. I'm surprised that I've had that many people want to guide me because I, I just want to have fun. And well, and I think that's why we had talked about it because we did the podcast interview and then at the end offline, you were like, you should do this. So I, like we figured we could suck the life out of each other, I guess. <laughs> and it's incredible, the things that we've learned. Um, and, and for some reason, um, you know, that's my comfort zone and in introvertness and extrovertness, I can combine both those personalities of mine in racing. And that's who my friends end up being, like my my running friends, my triathlon friends. Um, and they turned into my guides. You know, it was just a bunch of people that um, we've always worked out together. So now you just have to be a little bit more aware of what I see and don't see. And, and that was the only difference, you know, yeah. for me personally. Um, I've met some of the most incredible people through guiding. Um, we talk about the six degrees of separation. I'm like Kevin Bacon's twin. Um, we all know somebody who knows Diane. Uh, and I don't say that in arrogance, but I truly believe that we all know somebody. You know somebody I know. We, we talked about that as a topic. Yeah, Dina Griffin. Uh, Dina Griffin was a guide for you. and Right. And then, so. and then it was like... Uh, you know, I'm with Nicole DeBoom and Harry and I are talking about somebody else she knows. We just talked about you. You know, we, we all have that little path that we cross. And I, and I think that, you know, people have tried to make me, uh, I shouldn't say it that way, make me, but I've kind of turned into this persona um, in the social media world of, of somebody who, um, is very popular and easygoing when really it's the furthest from the truth because <laughs> what Titus could be, I'm an overachiever, uh, you know, but, but I, I use that all to work. But my point is, I think that everybody, everybody, you have it, I have it. We all have that little bit of something and we just gotta have that, that, that one little brave, deep breath, big step where you uh, finally share you know, mm. where you realize that we're all been, we've all been given a gift. Um, yours is interviewing, you're opening up the world, you know, you've written a book, um, you know, but that you are no different than me, you know, except I don't have a book. Um, <laughs> I don't, well, it's not all it's cracked up to be. So there you go. That's what I was just going to say. Some of the Who things, cares? Yeah. But, but it made you happy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it opened up doors for you, but these are the gifts that I think we all have. Um, I'm having this incredible journey. Um, I don't know how quick you want to step into like, well, I wanted to touch something before. I don't want to lose this because you started out the interview and you said, um, the last time we talked that you were riding high on beating cancer and that was yeah. arrogant of you. And I think it's so interesting because I was talking with a couple of friends this morning on a call and the term arrogance came up and it came up in the context of how we can think we're so much better than like our own family members. Like, why can't they just do the dishes? Like I would have done the dishes. Like there's this arrogant trait 
that we have about stupid stuff. And so when you said arrogance, that just kind of like rang my bell. Like, let's talk about that for a minute. How, like, well, first of all, share where you are now, like what has happened and then what does arrogance mean to you in this moment? Yeah. Arrogance, arrogance. (laughs) So (laughs) I now, so, so I got to take it back a little bit. You know, we talk about cancerversaries. Everybody knows their dates, you know, horrible. We know good dates, bad dates. My first cancerversary was November 3rd. So I started going through this. Um, uh, maybe the word arrogance is going to come up again, that I have got to make a change in my life that um, changes this whole forward moving view of this arrogance, I beat cancer, blah, blah, blah. It was November 3rd, August, blah, blah, blah. They told me this, Um, but I'm rambling. This is what I do. This is chemo-induced. But anyway, you know, at at some point, I wanted to make my best effort to just move forward. Mm -hmm. And I started doing more of this meditating. And the, the longer I sat, the, the more I thought that I was on my next journey, didn't know what it was, but I was willing to sit and listen. Best thing I ever did for myself, best advice I could give anybody today is just take, even if it's five minutes, but something in me was calling me to sit still and pay attention. I didn't know what I was going to be paying attention to. So what I started noticing was that, um, well, there were two things, the emotional part of when am I ever going to put cancer behind me? Um, so I started looking at how do I do that? Well, I had to change how I walk the earth. Um, I started actually walking more. I spent more time um, thinking and just listing like what is really important to me at 62 years old now. Um, I was starting to work less. So, you know, that trajectory was going to change a little bit, but I kept sitting still and and what was coming down to it was I I needed to um, become even more minimalist than I had been. So I started doing this purging thing, like where I started, and I didn't own much anyway, but, and I live a very simple life, but all of a sudden uh, a tandem bicycle, a mountain bike, uh, a road bike, uh, all the training equipment, all my medals, everything that seemed so key in my life that just reeked of arrogance. My success, mm. my, you know, um, all of a sudden didn't mean it to me anymore. Meant nothing. Yeah. And I started, I have a friend who helped me um, like sell off, you know, tchotchke kind of stuff that I would collect uh, that that meant nothing. All of a sudden, meant nothing, and I and I just stopped questioning it. I'm like, I don't know where this is going, but obviously, this is the path I'm going on. So, you know, big lesson learned. So I started, you know, this purging, and then I started noticing things like physically, my body was changing. But again, at 62 years old, post cancer. The, all the side effects still from the treatment that um, I got to the point. Oh shit, I lost it again. <laughs> I do a lot of losing my thoughts. That's okay. That's okay. You were just, you were purging and it didn't matter. 
Right. So the, then I started to notice the less I had, the more time I had to, um, I read more. I, you know, my, my whole thing was more reading, more podcasts. But anyway, I, I start having, I noticed from sitting still that I have body pain. And I'm like, I, I don't know where all this body pain's coming from. Um, but following up with oncologists and, you know, I'm still in early detection mode. Uh, they diagnosed me with osteoporosis and that's where my body pain was coming from. Um, and, and, and that is partially true. I mean, age, um, post-cancer treatment, the whole thing. But by about, uh, when was it? The end of February, I started having um, swallowing issues again. So that got more attention than the body pain. So I stopped being able to swallow and believe it or not, good time to have medical issues was when COVID first started because the doctors all had more time and prioritizing. So I was getting all my diagnostic tests done probably quicker than I did last time. Mm -hmm. um, so a couple of weeks, we had determined that I had developed uh, two masses None, it's considered a reoccurrence, even though it didn't go back to the same area. Mine was throat, uh, base of the tongue, lymph nodes last time. This time it was a four millimeter mass sitting outside my esophagus in my body cavity. And then another one sitting in my abdomen. So eating started to change, swallowing obviously changed. And that got the attention. So I get this um, PET scan results. And of course it's COVID time. So, you know, we're on the phone and I have an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and they're listing all the areas that I have cancer and I get to the end of the page and I'm like, okay, we could stop now because what, what part of me doesn't have cancer? Oh my gosh. So within about four weeks of me complaining, I went through uh, the two masses uh, in the body cavity and my uh, bone. So from my clavicle down into my pelvis, I had bone cancer, have bone cancer. So we go through this whole list and the word comes up that, you know, this is a reoccurrence and there's nothing we can do. And at this point it's palliative care and quality of life that there wouldn't be a treatment because um, it's, it's spread and it's out of control. So I'm like, okay, so what do we do now? So it's like, now I have a new cancer anniversary. It's April 3rd. Um, and by the way, I changed the November 3rd by going and running the New York City Marathon. So that's how <laughs> I went. I'm gonna change that anniversary date and went and did um, a marathon. Which again, when you think about, oh, my body, you know, of course I'm in pain. I've, I've decided to, to run another marathon. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, that's how I changed that date. Um, but anyway, so I, I get this very bleak end of life, um, nothing we can do for you kind of diagnosis, except we have this like, one immunotherapy drug that we can try 
and that will hopefully our only goal would be to slow the progression and because I guess it's going to be a very painful bone cancer apparently is, is very painful. So we looked at, you know, palliative care. But the interesting thing was how hard it was for the doctor to actually say, like, you're dying. Like, we're, we're not going to be able to put, get you in remission. And I kept saying, well, you know, where are we? You know, I've known you for four years, like spill it out. You know, I understand palliative care. You just want me to be comfortable. So they wouldn't answer me. It took about two weeks. Really? Yeah. You know, there's like some kind of, I don't know who they thought they were talking to. Because I mean, I'm asking them, just tell me, you know, what's the deal? You're like, what do I, do you know who I am? Like, I am a straight shooter. Shoot me Again, straight, the- dude. Like, don't you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And so they, they wanted to focus on what, like, what, what? is, is the point of not shooting you straight on that? Like, what is it, is it a kindness or is there, is it a cruelty? Well, I, I found it to be, they were just trying to be too kind yeah. and, and I took it that way, but I had to keep being aggressive. So I had the oncologist and then his, his physician assistant. And I finally got to her within two weeks and said, you know, okay, let, let's try it a different way. You know, one of my favorite books in the, in the world was the old Dale Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. So I learned in high school how to talk to people <laughs> and get the answers I want. So I said, right. let's look at it different. If I didn't do any treatment, how long would I have to live? And she said, you don't want to do that. And I said, why? I told you for the last four years, I would never go through treatment again. And so, I mean, if you haven't heard that, I'm going to say it again. I don't for treatment. I understand palliative care, I work in a nursing home. So, so basically she said, Diane, you, you would have probably a month to live. And that was wow. April. That was April. What month is it? It's December. Wow. So, yeah. So um, she was very kind. We sat down um, and decided that palliative care could involve chemo drug, immunosuppressant, some type of, of drug to slow the progression. Give me enough time because, again, in, in my mind, I wanted to be the one to make my um, funeral plans, uh, how I wanted the course of the, these last months, days, I, you know, they, they, you know, nobody gets a guarantee of how much time you're gonna get. You just realize, you know, you're, you're getting closer than somebody else. Maybe, maybe, we don't, right. maybe. again, my arrogance, maybe, I don't know. Uh, so we ended up with, uh, I, I now live in Pennsylvania, um, it was highly recommended that uh, I not be alone. Uh, I don't know what they thought I was going to do to myself, but um, they probably thought you were going to run another marathon. Well, yeah, do <laughs> it. The days I've actually been able to go out and walk are like unbelievable days. Um, but so so back in April, we decided that um, for me to have enough time, I did agree to an immunosuppressant um, infusion. And I did that. And 
we did a course of that, did a PET scan and found out that it did absolutely nothing, nothing. Mm. Actually, the cancer progressed. Um, but in the meantime, I was not not active, but I every day I would empty a closet, empty a drawer. Uh, my friends would come and take pictures of my belongings so we could sell since I knew that I was going to um, be with my family. Uh, so now I do live in Pennsylvania uh, and I am being treated here. So, you know, the interesting thing is that the thing I said I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do the, um, I wouldn't be retreated. Um, but I, once I got to Pennsylvania and saw the PET scan that got crazy, this new uh, oncologist who I think we, we have a pretty good person um, relationship um, she sat down next to me, totally shaking her head, having like no clue how, how to help me. And I felt bad for her. <laughs> and she says, um, well, this is the time that we usually, and she was upfront with me for somebody who had just met me. She was like, it, this is the time when we have to tell a patient that it's time to take out your bucket list because you're, you're dying and we're not going to be able to save you except keep you comfortable. I, I said, well, I, I guess you really don't know me because my life is a bucket list. I, wow. I can't, can't sit here feeling totally, I mean, I was sad. I cried, you know, it's never an easy thing to hear. Um, but I already heard that back in 2017, you know, I was stage four. Um, but we um, got to the point where she said, that, so this is how we'll do it. We'll, we'll do the palliative care. They picked two chemo drugs, Ugh, side effects, horrible. Um, so we agreed to do it. I agreed to do it up to the next PET scan. And then we would, we would live PET scan to PET scan and keep making decisions, but it would all be my quality of life. So far, um, since this last month, I have not been treated because of COVID. I ended up with COVID. <laughs> you did? Yeah. Can we bring up arrogant again? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, what else do you need? Right. Diet? Like, oh, um, seriously. Right. Wow. <laughs> and it, you know, the, the symptoms were very mild and no worse than the pain I was getting from the cancer. So when my, well, let's, I mean, you probably had a bad reference point, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> COVID's probably not as bad as, you know, what you got well, going on, but it's kind of confused. I never had the fever, you know, I, we oh won't gosh. all that, but I mean, my symptoms were, were just seemed like an extension of my, uh, all the side effects. And I, and I kept saying, again, we have to keep discussing this quality of life issue because the side effects of the chemo drugs are worse than the cancer pain. Yeah. So we're, we're just, tomorrow's my next PET scan. We've already had the discussion. Um, so what I've been doing, we'll talk a little bit more of the fun stuff. So we decided as far as this bucket list idea, that since I really don't have, you know, and COVID has kind of limited where we're all going these days, but, you know, to be with my family, um, and to be back in Pennsylvania, where I was born and raised, I've reconnected with 
childhood friends. I mean, it's like we've never missed a beat. Um, people have stepped in. My family is here. Um, the best decision that I, I mean, I have plenty of privacy, but um, there are like nights like last night, 10 o'clock at night, uh, I'll, I had nausea. Then I called my family from upstairs and said, I think I'm good to need some food. I, I don't feel good. So, I mean, I have this availability now to um, allow myself the vulnerability, I guess it is, to actually let people help me because I've been a little too stubborn in life. So I might have less in the hard way, a little late. If I would give like, not a regret, but if I had a do-over, I would um, have allowed myself to be vulnerable much sooner than 2017. Yeah. That's it, you know. I feel like I needed to hear that. <laughs> you're be vulnerable. Yeah. Like that's not in my nature. It's, you know, I got my heart wrapped up in all sorts of armor and like, you're, yeah. Right. So like, yeah. Yeah. So there's some of the things like when I, uh, I look at, uh, you know, everybody wants to know, like, what do you think about when they, they tell you not? And quite honestly, for the month of April, I don't think I could talk because I, I couldn't put it into words, but there was a calmness, which is the craziest thing that more people were like questioning, like, what is wrong with you? Like, you're, you're okay, like hearing you're going to die. And I'm like, no, I wasn't really okay with it, but I, I have some kind of peacefulness about it. I, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, like I said, I, I've had the, the meltdown times. I probably have driven my family a little crazy at times. But, you know, I wanted everything on my terms. So I sat with my family. And I, there are things I've known my whole life. I, I don't um, feel any kind of connection with viewings and funerals. And um, I didn't want, I don't want that. I want nothing to do with that. And, um you know, cremation. I, I wanted to be the one to put everything in place so that when the time comes, there's nobody in my family sitting around going, oh, did she want this? Were we gonna, what? No, I want it my way. Even when I'm dead, I want it my way. So. <laughs> well, in here, like maybe, you know, I'm not, I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but maybe the sense, like when you found out you were dying, and you were kind of calm about it is like this inner control freak. You're like, well, at least I have the information of when approximately I'm going to go. Like I can feel. <laughs> right. Like I was accepting of not knowing the date, you know, again, I can't, yeah. can't put it like a race date anymore. We can't put it in like the end of treatment time. Like I got through the last one. Um, but, you know, you use some of these skills that we've learned from, from uh, our participation in movement and athletics, you know, um, the goal setting and, it, you know, just, I just had a view of life and I guess I had a view of death, what I wanted it to be. So some of the most like awesome things have happened. You know, I changed my Facebook, Diane Barbarian, the Iron Maven. Now it's just the Cancer Chronicles because I think that the, um, what my picture of cancer looks like 
is like completely different than than other people. And and that's what we do again here in life. We're, we're constantly comparing. I was comparing my last cancer to this cancer. Well, it's apples and oranges that can't be compared. So I had to break through that, you know, get over that. Um, some of the interesting things I did um, after I finally settled my mind down and settled here in Pennsylvania, I, I went back and reread um, on death and dying, on grief and grieving. Um, I think I read every Brene Brown book on being vulnerable. Um, I just <laughs> felt like I'm just gonna keep mentally just taking it one breath at a time, one day at a time. Um, and so so that that's how we did it. But the bucket list, I get back, back to that real quick. Um, my doctor is very cooperative. So they're, the, the treatments have been over the last couple months, um, three weeks of going in and getting an infusion and then two weeks off. And then her plan was during that time off, you should go find something to do, you know, something. So the first trip, which was just like an incredible, as we all know, most women have, um, you know, what I call a grounding crew, your, you know, your go-to um, group of, of female friends that, that hold you up no matter what, good, bad. And so four of my, and it was hard to even pick, like, who do you pick to, to go on this journey with you? And um, so four other women who not all have known each other, but are a part of my circle, uh, we got together and went up to um, Asheville area, Black Mountains, rented a house, like a big tree house. And I mean, I was sick. I mean, there was no mm -hmm. doubt. I mean, I was sick while I was there. You don't, you know, miraculously improve the week that they don't treat you. Um, but we had enough time to sit on the porch and we told stories and they got to know like, how, what's the sixth degree of separation? How do <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of thing? And, and I guess for me, and I bring this up too, that um, with how much armor I've, I've had on my body for 60 some years, um, it's now time to just go in plain English, fuck it. Guys, yeah. you want to say? <laughs> live with the consequence, you know? So, you know, I'm now at a point, especially being with family of, you know, telling this, I, there's like a third generation here. Uh, and now I can tell stories, which was what I want my legacy to be. I want, I want all my information to come from my mouth, you know, <laughs> and it did with their parents and things I did when I lived here and grew up here. Um, so, you know, this, this end of life journey is, has kind of been pleasant. I mean, I, I don't like being sick. I'm not going to lie about that. I mean, I have some pretty crappy days, um, but the legacy of, of sharing stories and no longer, you could shed the armor now and, it, you know, I change the words around from, I no longer have secrets, I have privacy. I've always been a private person and felt like not everything needs to be shared, but here I am, the biggest thing in life, death. I'm all over the world now in social media, <laughs> explaining to people what it's like 
to get to this point in life. And I got to be honest, it's not that scary. Yeah. It's not. What matters? Like what matters now that didn't like what mattered then? Like, let's say 2016, what mattered? Yeah. Pre-cancer and what matters right now? Yeah. Well, 2016, and it's always been my life about mentorship and, and just showing people we're all real. I mean, everybody's real. I always say I'm a, I'm a bit of a fictional character because, you know, if there's something I don't like about myself or that I've always felt need to be changed, I just changed it. Yes. <laughs> but again, it, it's like, well, I'm just a fictional character. We could be whoever we want to be. And sometimes I'm only that person for like a couple months and then I change my mind. I want to do something else. Um, so I, I would say that people need to take a little bit more proactive part in their lives instead of, you know, making lists of, you know, the to-do list, what I want to do today, what I want to do this year, you know, man, I, I just, I don't want to say, like wander aimlessly, but allow some of that wandering aimlessly time to, mm. to not have an answer. Um, I, I think that that was one of the other things. The other thing that I, I wanted people to um, express more now, like don't tell my family a month from now or a year from now at some formal um, viewing or funeral and you know, humbleize me or whatever that word is, eulogize me. Um, if there's something I need to know about our interaction, it, it, it would have been a great time to do it. So I asked that of people. And in social media, even people I didn't know wrote me text messages, emails, and Facebook messages about, um, they've never met me, but they like the person that I was portraying uh, <laughs> that week. They like the fictional character. <laughs> they like the fictional character, and they like that I'm no different than the, you know. I think everybody has a little bit when you meet me that little bit of um, yeah, yeah. We could be friends. Yeah, we're a lot alike. You know, we have a lot in common, and I think that that's what people miss. We all have a lot in common. We're just mm. not to shed the armor and share it. And, and, and I think I, I have learned some of the most awesome things about myself because again, I'm, I'm being visited by um, my peers that I grew up with, elementary school friends who, you know, we could sit for hours and, and just talk about things. I have a coach who actually, you know, has admitted to me, I was the biggest crybaby um, that could ever coach. <laughs> Yeah, because again, if I wasn't doing well, I'd have to go somewhere and cry because you can't cry in front of people. So I would I would do it different. I and I probably am a little bit more open about crying openly. Um, but I've I've met so many people. I also um, quite unexpected and certainly did not want. But now I'm like, oh, this was the cool thing. Um, the, the city of Boston named um, August 22nd as Diane Barbarian Day. Like I have a full-on proclamation from the city council that now I have a, 
You have a uh, whole day. You know, I live outside of Boston now. Right. And, uh, and yeah. And, you know, it was kind of at first, like, I had no idea that, that this was being uh, honored to me. You know, certainly, I think the last time we were, we were talking, I had been put in the Hall of Fame at my local high school here. Uh, Delta Gamma's initiated me. I finally got into a fraternity at 60-some years old. You know, again, the... There is no deadline. And that, that would be my other message, you know. Don't wait for the bucket list. If you got an idea, go do it, you know. Um, I went down to Florida just a couple of weeks ago. I was so sick, uh, but I wanted to be warm. So I, that was my last trip. And, and, and now this year we're talking about, I, I guess I'll get to play in the snow. because I'm, I'm in Pennsylvania and it's eventually going to, well, it's coming. I, I haven't sledded in years, you know, things that I like to do. I got to see like a third generation um, in our family, a soccer player. I mean, we have the history of athletes in the family, but my sport was soccer. So to be here, to be alive and see this eight-year-old, you know, I was here to be able to go to a game. I have a five-year-old great-great nephew that I'm, you, you know, I, I get to spend time with um family i mean i just get to spend time with my family not formal we just we're just family we just visit we talk we laugh not a whole lot of crying yeah what do uh, you want to say like you have a you have the microphone my friend and you know you got 5 to 10,000 people who will, who will hear you and I know you like that. That helps our arrogance, right? <laughs> uh, let's see. I, I did write some notes. Uh, so my big things were, you know, I, I would definitely encourage people to take the time to listen to yourself. Um, and, you know, I fought the whole meditation issue, but I think when when the universe sends you a message and says, could you just please sit still for five minutes? you know, there might be something here. And I, and I gave myself the five minutes and it was never very formal. Uh, the time that I spent in meditation, walking for me became so meditative, um, sitting on a bench, meditative, um, just sit, listen to yourself. You got a whole story in there. <laughs> we all do. That's what I feel. We all have a story in here. Um, be a fictional character. Be whoever you want to be. And don't yeah. be, a, you know, and the, and the whole failing issue. And I think you and I even talked about this, you know, to not be afraid to fail, you know, to try things, which was not the person I was. Again, to just talking about the, the coaches that I was a crybaby. And usually I was off in the corner crying because I wasn't playing well. Uh, all me. Not because she told me I wasn't playing well. Right. I was. So, I, I mean, I, I would get rid of that part if I had to do over. I, I'd get a little bit more comfortable. Um, don't worry about bucket lists. Live, your, live every day like it's a bucket list. Like, And I know these are all the cliche things. Like, um, if this was your last day on earth, how would you spend it? You know, well, I don't think everybody needs to get up every day and go, hmm, just in case I die by midnight, what should I get done today? I don't, I don't 
that that's not where I'm going with that. But just just being comfortable with like bad days. And, you know, athletically, we've used the, 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 the term, you know, learning to be uh, comfortable with being uncomfortable, um, just allowing things to let it flow. I mean, mm. there, there, there's some of the things, the privacy versus the secrecy um, is another thing. And, and don't give up on friendships just because you're an introvert, because there's a whole ton of introverts out there. We all know how to how to deal with it. And there, there's just, there, there's always a common goal that gets an introvert connected to another introvert. For us, I think it may have started out um, athletically. I think that that always makes me comfortable. If I'm going to tell you a horrible story and be uncomfortable, we'll probably be out walking and running. You know, that that's where I felt my comfort in sharing um, things that I had to say. Um, and what else? No bucket list. Make sure you keep your circle tight. Have your friends. I always say you have the, that friend you go to for financial advice, the friend you go to for love advice. You know, it, it, everybody's got like a, a position on the team, so to speak. <laughs> um, that's why I call them like a grounding crew. I have a friend that lives up in the mountains and you, you know, there have been times when I felt like I couldn't get myself together and I'd give a call and say, can I, can I come sit at your house for a, you know, a long weekend and just stare out these big windows and mountains. Um, so, you know, I, I kept to that family, I think is important. Um, but I think just the fictional character, just, just be who you want to be with un unapologetically you know yeah just unapologetically have, have you always been that way though i think so yeah you know although we have been laughing that as our 62 year old you know my peers we've we've sat around pulled out some pictures i don't have pictures because of visually um i purged long ago with pictures but you know people bring out pictures and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm 62 years old. So in the seventies, um, if goth was a word, that would have been me. I just never smiled. I had just long, dark hair, unibrow, uh, <laughs> you know? Um, and now I'm known for how much I smile. And I don't know mm. when that started, you know? Um, I guess somewhere when you mature, <laughs> but that was a stage, I guess I had to go through too, you know, the, the, the deep dark, you know, we were hippies um, in the seventies, but it, you know, there are pictures that I look at um, and I go, Oh my gosh, look, I look like I'm like ready to beat somebody up. I looked mean, but I really, <laughs> I was, I was an introvert and I was shy and withdrawn a lot of times um so so change is possible <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny you say that because I went through that phase too I guess I was in high school and it, it was when like you had your combat boots and I dyed my hair dark red and um <laughs> there's something about that phase that is so comforting <laughs> yeah like I, and I still don't I've never worn makeup um was just never and, 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 you know, when you think about it, very fortunate that 
I, I wasn't damaged by any of my peers because girls could be mean as mm -hmm. teenagers. But I apparently found the right group of, of women to hang out with as that are still friends of mine, um, who I guess really didn't care that I didn't care about hairstyle. Um, and even now, I mean, my, I have a bald head. Um, I care a little bit about it. It itches sometimes. Um, <laughs> but if that's the worst thing about it, uh, I, I mean, for, I don't know if you saw pictures, but for um, uh, Halloween, I was Fester from the Oh, Adam worry. I Absolutely. didn't see that. I don't think I could have pulled off the Mr. Clean um, because I'm, I'm very, well, I gained a little bit of weight, but by then I was very thin. My eyes were real dark. I have very little hair. Yeah. And uh, easiest costume we could have had. But this one, and, you know, my family didn't feel like we joke, not, not that we're joking about my death, but you got to put it in perspective. I mean, it's not in my control, but, you know, to go to a Halloween party with you know, your, your family, um, what, what are you going to be? I mean, I don't wear wigs. I don't, I'm never going to wear a scarf. So, you know, it's all hats and, um, it is what it is. You know, I finally lost pretty much my eyebrows, eyelashes. I was worried about the eyelashes, the one vein thing I have left in me because <laughs> I've only had long eyelashes. So now I don't have eyelashes. I'll have to send you my, my, uh, Amazon hack, the magnetic eyelashes. No, <laughs> you just, they just stick right on. <laughs> that would be fun. Oh yeah. my gosh. So yes, yeah, so some of the other neat things, getting back to like, you know, the, the, the end of all the, you know, we were even talking today, like, gosh, I'm here with my family. I'll be here for Christmas. Uh, I haven't spent any money because, you know, where's, where are we going? There's no, nothing to spend your money on. You can't go anywhere. And, and I can have any Christmas gift I want, but I, I don't want anything. Like there's oh. nothing material in my life. I moved here with nine plastic bins is the story of my life. That's it. I brought no furniture. I brought only clothes. Um, and that's pretty much it. Paperwork. Wow. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, I cannot lie. Boston medals all made it. Uh, no other medals from my athletic history are here um i friends took them i said you could donate them do whatever you want you could throw them out but their meaning i could we did we went through every story pulled out a medal i could tell you what race it was what year it was who guided me or they still doing it as individual we did all that um scrap i had some scrapbooks we did that and um yeah i came yeah. here nine bins wow. and I'm not saying I don't feel like oh I wish I would have saved I don't have that I don't have I wish I would have saved I had an interview with um my friend Kim she's she passed away I guess two years ago but she had a foundation where they donated race medals and you would write messages on them to give to kids and 
um, I had her on the podcast and it was really interesting because prior to that, like I really valued my medals. I had the rack and, but I was talking to her and I thought, I'm going to do this. And I didn't want to do it. Like, but as I was writing the notes and like, yeah. you know, to go on, you know, to go on the medals that go in the kids, the foster kids backpacks and, and I shipped them all away. I kept, I kept my Ironman medals. That's it. I kept four medals. I took pictures. And yeah. And I, I could care less now. Like I really was scared that I would have some crazy attachment to it. But yeah. as you're talking about it, it's like, it's the significance you put on it. It's not the memory. It's, it's not, it's nothing. Like I could care less that those medals are gone. But, but I still have to say in all honesty, that it's a phase we had to go through. Yeah. You know, the collecting of those medals, you know, um, I've never, yes, correct. trust me. I, I had a wall at my other apartment before I left Florida that, I mean, it was a shrine. Yeah. I mean, it really it's the was. fictional character. Like that was my fictional character at the time. And, and I'm I, done with that character. Yeah. Right. right. And we needed it at the time. And, right. it and I think that way about our teenage years, like the angst, the horrible times we had, we had to go through that. You can't skip that. I'm not a parent. I've been a teacher. I've been a coach. And as much as we want to protect this next generation, I think that's the worst thing we could do for them. Let them fail. Let, and, <laughs> you, know, I, I, you know, you keep an eye on it. And I'm sure I, I grew up in a neighborhood. We always said, I think we had helicopter moms before that word was out because of the way the city was, uh, uh, the windows, you know, we never knew whose parent was watching us, but it didn't matter. <laughs> you know, we were being cared for. They were gave you your reins, you know, you, you could go so far, but we kept an eye on you. And I think being back here um, reminds me so much of, of that was the, the, my best blessing in life is to have grown up where I grew up. And I, I ended up, if there was a bucket list, but um, I knocked on the door at the house that I grew up in. I didn't say, you know, I'm sure I could have got halfway in with the word cancer, but I didn't say anything. I just said, oh, I grew up in this house, you know, and uh, I'm just moving back in town. And is there any way I could walk through and just kind of catch a few memories? Yeah. <laughs> I know they thought I was crazy, but they let me do it. So oh, that's I nice. Got through my, my old house that I grew up in. Yeah. Looking for, but yeah, memories, you know. Not that the guy who let me in his house um, wanted to hear my stories, but I came <laughs> You know, I mean, I tried to include. Them, but, <laughs> you know. Well, is there anything that like ticks you off right now? Or do you like just not have time for that? Like, do you get a, a comment or a post or someone says something that's completely dumb and you get mad? Or is like, is there just an acceptance that like, I don't got no time for mad? No, nah, no. Nah. I think I, I've so hit the, the acceptance phase. And I think that I'm very blessed to, uh, even strangers who have uh, respect for me um, are only willing. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind if somebody called me up and said, oh, my God, in 1987, you were the biggest piece of crap I ever met. You did me wrong. Um, I would be OK if somebody needed to, to vent. 
um, I've actually done it. I, I contacted somebody and said, I, in death, I mean, I, I know it's not nice to, to be mean, but it's just, I needed some closure and, and it's just a friend. And I said, I gave so many more chances and so much more respect than you ever deserved. That's the most horrible thing I, I'm taking to my grave, but I actually felt like I needed to purge that comment. And how was it received? Um, what do you say? I mean, there was like no comment. Yeah. You know, and I said, it's not that I'm trying to be mean. Um, but I guess I did have a choice not to say it, but that's the only person that I could think of in my whole life that I, I just really wanted to say, God, I really gave this person more chances than they deserve. And, and so that would be another thing, you know, not everybody deserves your time. Oh, yeah. To guard it. And it's okay. Again, it's okay. I'm giving everybody permission there. Yeah. And look, you gave me some of your time. So I know that you wanted to, because <laughs> you just wouldn't have. <laughs> right. I don't do it. You know, and I think I've always been that child a little bit where you, <laughs> I've always just done what I wanted to do. Um, I'm trying to think of what I want to do next. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, Diane, I, I love you and thank you for your time. And, and so where can people find you? Cause you are posting some great stuff. Um, your Facebook page. Yeah. It's on the Facebook page, the Diane Barbarian, the Iron Maven, um, which is kind of interesting because not much had been happening without, you know, much racing and getting older and slowing down. So the page was kind of like, yeah, I think this, this fictional character is on the, on the tail end. <laughs> Finish up with that. And then, you know, I get the cancer diagnosis, which could have been an April fool's joke because it was around April 1st by the third, I heard the words. Uh, so I don't know if I'm still here in April, how we're going to change April fools. Uh, I guess it would be a big, another April Fool's joke if I'm still here. Oh um, my gosh. I know. It's kind of weird. It's weird. Um, that's, a, I, that's an interesting word for what you're going through. Weird. That's weird. an interesting choice of word. Well, here's the, no, no two of my days are the same. I had to get comfortable with that. Um, finding that, again, the, the side effects of the chemo drugs are worse than the cancer. Yeah. And so they're the discussion that we're having, um, you know, for me agreeing to do is for me to have the time, you know, quality of, quality of life. And that's what we keep talking about. But if, if I have to take a pill for, you know, every side effect, then that pill gives me a side effect. And I've deemed that not quality of life. So, um, right you know, tomorrow is the next PET scan. We have no idea, you know, if anything's been controlled or not. Um, I've gone pretty much the route of medical marijuana versus uh, narcotics, um, which totally, I mean, my oncologist is very supportive of it, but cannot explain how I don't need such heavy duty narcotics. Mm. 
Um, and we have these discussions, you know, again, the athlete versus a non-athlete, but yeah. she has to reel me in sometimes that the, the cancer pain is not the end of your marathon pain, you, you know, but I keep expecting, you know, that's my, my, my comparison. That's how I evaluate pain. And, you know, and they asked me, you know, about pain level. Well, when do you take a pain pill? I'm like, well, if I can't sleep. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. What number does it have to be before you take a pain pill? And I'm like, well, about an eight. And they're like, you cannot wait until an eight. Yeah. Right. That's what they always say. Right. You can't wait. But, you know, trying to go the route of um, the medical marijuana, I've screwed up a few times uh, and ended up in a very uh, high mode. Uh, and then the comfortable high because that's not who I am. Um, yeah. But well, you that's know, your new fictional character. You can just be like, yeah. <laughs> Dreadlock. Scott, that's right. Anja. <laughs> that's right. All right, my dear friend. Um, everyone, I will post a link on the podcast show notes and on the Facebook page to Diane's page so you can follow her. Feels inclined to share what they've learned from me that 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 makes my day. Um, doesn't fill my head, <clears throat> you know. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah sticking to the, and if you would do it with other people, if you would promise, and I did ask people that, promise me that moving forward, you'll be the next mentor, the next storyteller, tell your stories. This is what I think, uh, well, I guess it's virtual learning now. Most kids right. are learning from their, their parents now. And, you know, it, learning is different, but I think for decades, children learn by sitting with their grandparents. That's where they got history lessons. And, you know, what, what this city was like, you know, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, who your grandparents were, you know, things like that. So, you know, if I can get an audience, you know, in, in the family and these kids are willing to sit with me, I tell them about what it was like growing up with their dad, their moms, you know, who yeah. are, you know, I want them to know who their parents are my view you know so yeah if anybody's willing and i think everybody should take that that one day or even one person a day just to to admit who they are to them you know you look at somebody i don't think people say thank you enough mm. i just yeah. don't hear you know just a thank you like thank you for spending time with me today you know how boring my life is right now <laughs> Well, I mean, honestly, I'm not dying, but mine's kind of boring too. So you're with a highlight of my day. If that, so thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you for letting me ramble. Oh, you are not a ramble. I love you so much. And, and thank you for making me smile in 2017 and making me smile today. And for I'm today too. Yeah. All yeah. right, my dear, we will, yeah. we will keep in touch and I love you. Love you too. And that's the other thing. I hear more I love you now than I have in you. And I say it more. And genuinely. Yeah. I mean, it's important. Yeah. I wish we would have done that damn Iron Man together now. Like, man. Because yeah. I'm out of that. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. 
And when I made the L, I was happy with that decision. Yeah, me too. It was, it was time. Yeah. yeah. I'm not that fictional character right now. I'm a different one. Creating another one. We're waiting. The, the, the words, the, the leaving words are be your own fictional character. You decide. There you go. All right, yep. my dear. Take care. Right. Thanks, Meredith. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.